Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Awesome. Well, welcome to church, everyone. I'm Pastor Aaron Perdue. I'm the associate pastor, the bench warmer, the... No, I'm just just joking. No, no bench warmers. Yeah, there, there aren't any bench warmers. There should be no bench warmers in the kingdom of heaven, period. There aren't any spectators, there aren't any bench warmers, there aren't any referees just judging the game that's going on. Really, God has called us all to be players in the game, amen, to be advancing his kingdom here on the earth today. So that's what I'm here to do tonight. I just uh, felt like God just saying um, he's going to just grow this church with just people who are hungry. I think just in the world, people, there's going to be a hunger for for the truth of God's word, for the power of God today, for the power of his Holy Spirit. And I just think um, this, this is a church that preaches the word of God, that, that operates in the power of God, amen. And um, I, just, I just think um, there, there are gonna be people that are just hungry and thirsty for more. And this is one of those places where you can come and get an all-you-eat, you know, all-you-can-eat buffet of those types of things. So I'm glad you guys are here tonight. It's great to see you all. Um, if you'd like, you can sit a little closer. There's some people who are a little far, further away. I'm not, everyone's okay. But if you want to, you're welcome to come up while I get started here. Um, do we have any announcements I need to mention? Oh, yeah. Um, Pastor Lawson is ministering Friday morning up in Woodland Park at, the, at Andrew Womack Ministries headquarters. He's, um, he's done that for years. He's always been invited to preach at the summer family um, Bible conference. Yeah, nine o'clock, and I believe Billy Epperhart is preaching that morning, and Andrew Womack is also preaching that morning. So, um, you know, my dad um, got spirit-filled and called to preach when he was just 14 years of age. Um, I guess that was how long ago now? 53? 40? 44 years ago. So he's known Andrew Womack for 44 years. Um, so that'll be great. Friday morning, if you're available for that. I think they live stream that as well. So he's preaching 9 a.m. Um, um, tonight is my anniversary with Heather. I should announce that. I uh, get her fireworks every, every year, just a couple days before our wedding anniversary. And um, I'm very thankful. God just was really speaking to me earlier today about thankfulness and just the importance of thankfulness and not letting people just cheat you from thankfulness. And as I was kind of thinking, it kind of ties into my message. I'm talking about faith, faith made simple. And I'm going to be talking kind of a little bit about your imagination. Uh, I'll give you a little um, highlight of what's to come. But God was speaking to me about thankfulness and said, when you're unthankful, your imagination isn't going to work the right way. When you're unthankful, your imagination is actually going to be destructive. You're going to start imagining problems that aren't there. You're going to, imagine, you're going to start imagining solutions that really aren't the best solution. So thankfulness kind of um, steers your imagination. And uh, man, I, I've seen this happen so many times where people start being unthankful, ungrateful, and they just start imagining a lot of problems that really aren't problems. Maybe that's in a marriage. Maybe it's in a family. Maybe it's at your work. Maybe it's at a church. And um, man, we need to, don't, don't let the devil steal you of your thankfulness because that really affects your imagination. It really affects um, your, your, your heart, what you're constantly meditating on in your heart. And um, um, I'll, I'll kind of explain that even more. But, but man, um, 
God just showed me so many times in my own life, too, where I, I got a little unthankful, and I just started imagining dumb things, like problems that weren't really problems. Maybe, maybe I was imagining problems being on other people, but really I was the one being the problem. But I'm imagining that there's such a great problem. Um, so yeah, the, and that, 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 that comes from thankfulness. So we need to constantly just be, be thankful. Um, so I, last week I started a series, I'm doing a four-part series on faith, and I, I call this Faith Made Simple. I think a lot of times people like to overcomplicate faith. And um, when I see a lot of faith people in the Bible, faith stories, a lot of it, it's, it's, it's much more simple than um, what we might think about. I was thinking about the woman with the issue of blood. You know, she just, for, for her, acting on her faith was, if I can just touch the hem of Jesus. You know, sometimes we say, you know, for faith for healing, you have to do all these things, all these things. But, but for her, it's just, if I can just, her acting out on faith was just finding Jesus and touching his hem. That, that was her action, you know, tied to her faith. And um, I'm going to be talking about acting on faith here in a couple of weeks. But tonight, I'm going to be talking about believing. Last week, I talked about deciding how faith is really a, a decisive thing. You have to make, make a choice oftentimes and just go for it, and, and, and God will help you out. He'll, a lot of times, people like to say there, there's, a right, there's a right answer, there's a wrong answer, and if you screw up, you're, you're, you're just done. You're toast. And I remember, like, the first time I had to make a big decision on my own, it was about where to go to college. Like, I had a full, full offer at CU Boulder to study music there. Tuition was completely covered. They would even give me a few thousand a year to help with room and board. But I also had an option to go to Carnegie Mellon, where the top flute teacher in the world was teaching at the time. And I had to pay, you know, pay, to, pay some, um, I got some scholarship, but I have to pay, I have to take loans. And um, I just felt that, that God just let me make the choice. And when I've kind of looked back, you know, looking back, I'm glad I, I kind of stepped out uh, of my comfort zone and, and took the bigger step, but God would have helped me whichever choice I would have made. He would have honored my choice and helped me get to where I needed to go. Does that make sense? And I think sometimes, uh, I'll talk to younger adults sometimes who have to make big decisions like uh, what job to take, where to move, should I buy a house, should I marry this person? And a lot of these decisions that we make in life, they are made by faith. Even marriage is a faith thing. You don't know exactly what life is going to look like 50 years from now. I didn't know what I was getting into when I married Heather, <laughs> Heather Lynn you know, from Tennessee, but um, um, I, it's actually been better than what I had even thought about. But I, I had to take a step of faith and trust that God was going to back my choice, back her choice, and, and he has. And he's made it better than what we even had thought about. So um, faith, number one, you have to make a decision. I'm going to talk about believing and meditating that part of faith tonight. And um, um, this is really huge. So the Bible says in Proverbs 23, verse 7, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So what you're thinking, what you're believing, what you're meditating, the word meditating, it, it kind of means just to, to think over and over about something. Uh, I'm going to talk about believing, because uh, what, what we're thinking about, we really need to be constantly thinking and believing God's word. Believing is not just something that you do on Sunday, something that you do when you go to church. Something, it's something that you need to constantly be thinking about and be, be um, just... It needs to be going on in your heart continually. The Word of God and believing in it, meditating, it needs to be a continual thing. And uh, man, that is so true. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. 
I think this is a quote from my dad. I listen to so many preachers, sometimes I don't know where I got a quote from. I was listening to an old message of Joseph Prince the other day, and he said, how dumb can you be and still breathe? I wonder who he listens to. But this is a quote from a, I think this might be my dad, it might be Andrew Almack, it might, you know. But uh, your life is headed in the direction of your dominant thoughts. Right now, your life is heading in the direction of your dominant thoughts. For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Um, And what are the options for people's thought life? So I'm going to talk kind of about what's going on in, in your soul, in your heart, in your thought life. What what are the options for how you are thinking in your heart? And I'm going to apply a scripture that Jesus um, uh, mentioned. Jesus spoke this at the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, many people um, you know, use this to talk about eternity, which I believe it does talk about eternity. It talks about um, the spiritual realm. But I believe he's also speaking about your soul, about your heart, about your thought life. So Jesus in Matthew 7 Um, 13 and 14 said, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. So I believe in your thought life, in your heart, you you can think different ways. You can think the way God wants you to think. You can think with the mind of Christ, or you can think the way that just the average, normal, worldly person thinks. So, so that, that, the way that Christ wants you to think with the mind of Christ, that is the narrow gate, the broad gate, the way that the majority of people think on the world today, it, it leads to destruction. It says there are many who go by and buy it. So this verse, I believe it's talking about a spiritual thing, but also something in your soul, in your thought life, in your heart. It says, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So I believe that when Christ is speaking here, he's speaking on many different levels. He's speaking about eternity, speaking about heaven and hell, speaking about spiritual realities, but also I believe he's speaking about people's heart, people's soul. The broad gate, that's a gate that, 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 where most people are at in their thought life, in their heart. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a realm of negativity, of pessimism, of vain imaginations. You know, God, God has had problems throughout history with, with humankind's vain imagination. The majority of, of people's thinking just leading to vain imagination. Ungratefulness, not glorifying God, not thanking God, at least, right? I'll get to that later in Romans 1. But um, I remember years ago, I, I somehow came across uh, a study done by the Cleveland Clinic on people's thinking. And it's really fascinating to me, and it kind of backs what I, what I just said and what Jesus said about the broad gate and the narrow gate. So the broad gate, that, that gate of, in people's heart, in their thought life, which is constantly negative, pessimistic, vain imaginations, this Cleveland Clinic study, um, they, they did a study and they said the average person thinks 60,000 thoughts per day. So 95% of these thoughts are the same thoughts. So 95% of those 60,000 thoughts are habitual thoughts. Meditative, just you are programmed to think these things. 95% of the thoughts that you're having that the average person has is is a habitual thought, the same thought, a a meditative thought. So people are meditating. Whenever you have a thought, 95% of the time, it's a meditation. It's a continual type of thought. Habitual thoughts. Of these, 95% of these thoughts that are habitual, 80% of these are negative. Like, I'm so ugly, I'm so tired, I'm so 
Sometimes you catch yourself even saying these things because sometimes those meditative thoughts can bubble out of your mouth and you realize, I say this every day. I say, I'm so tired, I'm so old, I'm so poor, I'm so... Um, the narrow gate. The narrow gate. Speaking of, of the soul of your heart, of your thought life, having the mind of Christ. I define this as thinking on and continually believing. Believing, when I talk about the believing part of faith, it's a continual thing. Thinking on and continually believing the word of God, that is having the mind of Christ. That is how God can instruct you. That's why you need, the Bible says you need the mind of Christ so that he can instruct you, so that he can lead you, he can guide you. So God can only guide you by having the mind of Christ, and that's, that's when you're constantly thinking on and continually believing the word of God. And I quoted 1 Corinthians 2.16, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. If you are a believer and, and, and you have the spirit of Christ in you, God wants what's in your spirit to get to your soul, to get to your body. You know, I actually saw, I just happened to come across um, a, a pastor preaching on, uh, like, mental health. And he was saying if, if you, you know, don't have good mental health, then you can't, you know, be right in your spirit. But he had it reversed. You have to be right with God in your spirit for your mental health to really work. That's the way the flow happens. It happens from your spirit to your soul to your body. It doesn't happen from, man, if I work out, if I get really fit, if I eat the right things, then, then I'm going to think right, then I'm going to be right with God, then I'm going to go to heaven. No, the, the spirit realm created the physical realm. It always goes from the spirit to the physical realm. It always goes from the spirit to your soul to, to your body. Amen. It's not reverse. Reverse is religion. That was a very religious mention, like, you know, uh, sermon, like, you need to do all these things to get, you know, mentally healthy, so then you can feel like you're right with Jesus. It was completely reversed. That's, that's religion. People, people get into religion all, all types of ways. So, um, you have the mind of Christ, amen? If you have the spirit of Christ, if you believed on Jesus, if the, um, you have the mind of Christ and, and you can operate in it and, and you need to do it continually, amen? I love what the Bible says in Psalm 1. You can turn here, Psalm 1. This is awesome. Everyone should turn here, Psalm 1. I'm gonna show you something really cool. I actually just preached on this with my dad. We co-taught on his four keys to faith um, for, for the television program, Grace for Today, and um, it, I just had a blast teaching this with him. My dad is like a faith giant. He is a faith preacher. And um, um, I got to, to share a few things too, which was really nice. Sometimes my dad, he's so full of the word and um, sometimes he'll just keep going. But he let me share a lot, which is really fun. And, and I, I, uh, I got to, to, to learning just, just sitting there in this teaching with him. But um, God showed me something really cool here from Psalm 1, verse 1 through 3. So I'm going to show it to you here in a minute. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, right? That's where this meditating, continually believing, you're, you delight in God's word, in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. That meditation, it just means to habitually think about. 
Verse 3, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. So I want to talk about that word in his law. He meditates day and night. That word meditate. In the Hebrew, it's the word Hagah. The verb Hagah means to study, to think on, to meditate, to imagine, to utter, to mutter. Sometimes when you're thinking about something, you can even just kind of say it to yourself. How many people kind of talk to yourself? That, that's, that's, a, that's what the Bible calls meditating. When you're thinking about something, you just kind of verbalize what you're thinking. It also means to speak, and lastly, to roar. One time, one time in the Bible, the word Hagah is translated as roar. Just one time. And I looked up the one time it's translated as roar, and it's really interesting. It's from Isaiah 31, verse 4. This is really good. I know my dad's going to get excited because he always preaches this, you know, Psalm 1 when he's preaching on meditating, but there's one time where, where the word Haggad to meditate is, is translated as roar. Isaiah 31, verse 4. It says, as a lion roars and a young lion roars over his prey, as a lion Haggad, and as a lion Haggad's over its prey, this lion is so obsessed with its prey that it's like pouncing on. It says, a multitude of shepherds are summoning against this lion. He will not be afraid of their voice, nor be disturbed by their noise. This lion is hagaing. He's so just hagaing over his prey that it completely shuts out any noise whatsoever, even, even threats that are coming from, from shepherds trying to save this sheep. And he goes on and says, this is how the Lord of hosts will come down to fight for Mount Zion and for its hill. This is, what, this is how God thinks about you. God doesn't just like casually think about you. He's like haggaying over you. Like nothing can stop God from wanting to save you, from wanting to rescue you, from wanting. And this is how we should be with the word. Right, as one, med like we should meditate on, on God's law, on his word day and night. It should, be, it should be such a thing in our heart, such a thing in our soul that it completely shuts out all the noise. There is a lot of noise in the world today. As we get closer and closer to the return of Jesus, the spirit of the Antichrist is going to make a lot of noise. I remember one Sunday, God was speaking to me, and he told me to, to go read in Revelation about what happens to the Antichrist, what happens to the beast. And this actually um, happens before, right before Christ's return, right before his millennial reign. Right before his millennial reign, the Antichrist is thrown into the lake of fire. So if you were to take a, a wild beast and, and the, 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 enemy, the, enemy know, the enemy knows what's going to happen in the end. If you were to take a wild beast and, and get this raging fire going on and, and, and drag this wild pig to the fire, what's it going to do as you get closer and closer to the fire? It's going to make a lot of noise. What do you think is going to happen to, to the spirit of Antichrist on the world today as, as it senses its end? It's going to start squealing and making a lot of noise. So as believers, 
we need to, to be able to shut out some of that noise from, from that squealing antichrist pig. And you do that by roaring, by meditating, by being focused, continually focused in thinking about God's word. That's what shuts out the noise. Amen? That's what shuts it out. That, that's, that's some good revelation for, for someone here tonight. So faith made simple. Faith is not a complicated thing. It's a very simple thing. And the thing about faith is God, God wants to meet you where you're at. You might, you might look around at other people and say, well, I don't think I, I'm you know, operating in faith at the level that they are. Or I, I mean, God wants to meet you right where you're at. And sometimes, some, faith, faith is such a simple, people like to overcomplicate it. They like to say, well, this, this is how God has to do it. Now, I remember one time there was a woman who approached me, um, and um, she just said, you know, my husband, he's not really, I'm not sure if he's a believer or not. He comes to church some with me, um, but he just can't get connected here. This church is just not good about getting people connected. And I asked, well, did he ever, has he ever come to the men's breakfast? No, he's never come to that. Has he ever, you know, volunteered? No, he's never volunteered. Well, and, and this, this woman is, is actually pretty connected herself. I know she hangs out with a lot of other, um, you know, women at the church, goes to different Bible studies and things. And I'm just thinking in my mind, that this, there's some pra- very practical, simple things she could do, you know, to, to introduce her husband to some other godly men at the church. She could invite some of the other moms that she knows, have them come over as a family. Easy peasy, right? But in her mind, like, I as a pastor had to do something very specific that, just, you know, I, I had to change how we do church in order for her husband to, to get more connected here. And I said, well, let's, let's, let's take this into the to realm of faith now. You want, you, you want to believe that, that God will bring a friend to your husband, right? She said, yes. I said, well, you need to pray for that and believe it, but here's what I want you to do. Faith without works is dead. Here's something that you can do. And again, it's always something, it's, you can do something simple, I said, here's what I want you to do. Say, to do. To do. 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 And the do part can be very simple. Except for one month. Every Sunday when you come to church, before you get to church, pray that, that um, pray, you know, pray, believe that God's going to introduce someone to, to, to you guys, to your, to, your, to your family, to your husband. But here's what I want you to do for, for one month. Every Sunday when you come to church, just approach one couple and just say, hey, I'd like to take y'all out to lunch today. Just do that, do that. And if they say no, then, then you're off the hook. I didn't say you have to take, so I just said just invite one person out to lunch. Say, I'll, I'll, uh, just, I, I want to treat y'all to lunch. Would you come out to lunch with us? It's our treat. That's, that's all you have to do, to do. And I said, do, do that once, you know, bathe, bathe in the Jordan four times. Something very simple. And I said, if, if, if the leprosy is not gone, <laughs> then come and talk to me. And, and we'll find, I'll, I'll change the entire systems of our church. 
but I actually haven't seen this person since I spoke that. <laughs> it's a very simple to-do thing. But uh, I, I don't know. I, uh, I'm going to keep going anyways. I think, I, think, I think that system would have worked. I think, I think it was a good pastoral you know, advice there. So anyways, um, believing God's word, meditating on God's word, when you're spending time in God's word, it'll help you make decisions. My first point is this. You need to consider your path and look at it with, with the light of God's word. So the word of God, it will lead you and guide you. It will show you what's right, what's wrong. When making a big decision in life, always spend time meditating in God's word. God will speak to you through his word. Whenever I've had to make a big decision in life, I've, I've, I've spent a lot of time in God's word. I remember once before I met, before God brought Heather into my life, there was a girl that I liked, and um, at the time I thought she was the one, but, but things weren't really lining up Things weren't working out, and I just said, God, you need to speak to me. And I just spent a lot of time in the Word, and um, there were a lot of scriptures speaking to me against, against how that relationship was going. So I couldn't, I couldn't justify pursuing that thing with what God was showing me from the Word. Does that make sense? God will speak to you from His Word. Let's go to Proverbs 4, verse 18. Proverbs 4, verse 18. I love, I love the end of Proverbs 4. I took um, biblical Hebrew for an entire year when I was getting my master's at Rice University. And um, at the end of the first semester, we, um, for the final exam, we had to write down um, 10 scriptures in the original Hebrew in order, but from memory. So I chose these 10 scriptures here, Proverbs 4, 18 through 27, had to write them down in Hebrew from memory. And... Um, it's not the easiest thing to do. But I remember what helped me was I came up with a song to go along with it. I just made up a little melody and sung it in Hebrew. So when I was there taking the test, I was singing to myself in Hebrew this whole song. And um, I, can't, I can't remember it. And I, <laughs> and I can't remember all the Hebrew here either. But, uh, and it probably wasn't the prettiest song either. But a song is a type of meditation as well. Like a lot of songs... Sometimes some songs are a little more repetitive than other songs. And, um, but sometimes it's, it's good to continually mutter, and even for that muttering to speak, but even to sing. Amen? So let's read this, Proverbs 4, 18. But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter into the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. If you need to know where to go, turn on the light. And it's not fun to stumble around. You know, now that I have a wife and two kids, when I walk at night, I have to turn on the lights. It's a lot, I'm a lot more prone to stumbling, especially with Legos. If I know there's Legos on the ground, my son Fisher, he has a lot of Legos. And he likes to have them all over the place. Um, watch out for Legos. You, you can really hurt yourself on those things. 
Verse 20, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. I love those two verses. This is kind of like what Jesus was talking about. He's, he's talking about having, incline your ear to my sayings. It's like having ears to hear. Right? We need to have ears to hear God's word. Let them not depart from your eyes. You need to have eyes to see. Eyes to see where God is leading you from his word. Keep them in the midst of your heart. You need to have a heart to understand. Once you do these things, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. God's word brings life to you, spirit, soul, and body. Amen. And it always flows that way. It flows from your spirit through your soul into your body, not, not the other way. The other way, trying to get to the spirit through the flesh, is it's called religion, it's called works, it's called performance. It's not going to work out well. Verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. I love that, what he's talking about, just meditating on God's word, believing God's word. It's gonna cause you to go in a certain direction, right? It's gonna cause you to go in the right path. It's gonna cause you, this, to me, it's talking about being decisive, you're going to choose the way, and you're going to walk in it, and you're not going to turn to the side. You're going to be decisive. You're going to be established. You're going to be firm, fixed, secure, faithful, consistent, determined. This is good stuff. The Word of God will not lead you to be a flake. People who, who are really grounded in the Word of God are going to be very faithful, very consistent, very fixed, very established people. You know, I, I, was, I was talking um, to someone recently, and, and some, sometimes in, in charismatic circles, we can say things like this, well, well, they're kind of prophetic, so that's why they're kind of like that. They're kind of hard to know where they're going to be, or, you know, they're not that reliable, they're kind of prophetic, or, well, that, that's a musician, you know, musicians are just... No, but before you're a prophet... Before you are a, a singer, before you are a song leader, before you are a pastor, you are a man of God. You are a woman of God. Before you are, before I'm a husband, before I'm a father, before I'm a, an entrepreneur, before I, I'm a, a musician, before I'm a pastor, I'm first a man of God. Does that make sense? And God was just really showing me that, that it's important that, that, that people of God, people who are grounded in the Word, that, that you be very faithful, very consistent, very established. Um, some of Heather's family are here from Tennessee. They've been, um, you know, vacationing, touring all around uh, Carter Springs, and people always ask them, where are you from? Because Heather and her family all have very thick southern accents. Um, they're from Lynchburg, Tennessee. They're a great family. Um, this, Holly is her aunt. It's her, her mom, Pastor Deborah's baby sister, nine years younger, right? And um, um, Chris is the head football coach at Heather's old high school. And their two sons, Caden and Dawson, are you, are you 19 now? And 20 and 17? 17, 17. Um, just great family. But I was talking to Caden um, just the other night. Um, I made a bonfire. Heather doesn't like it when I make bonfires in the, the campfire. I like to make s'mores and stuff. Um, because, you know, we all end up smelling like smoke, and the kids smell like smoke, and 
Um, everything smells like smoke. But I, I like to, I'm a little bit Old Testament, so I like to make an altar and, <clears throat> especially when there's been rain in Colorado and, and uh, but I was talking to Katie at the fire just about, you know, he's 20, he just started a really great job. Actually, Heather's stepdad, Mike, has worked for the same company for 30 years now, and maybe longer, than, and is just very high up in that company, but he helped uh, Kaden get a job for the same company. Uh, it's a big company, they're all around the country, and um, he got a good job. He's the youngest guy there at, at the office he works at. He's 20, every other guy is there is like 50. And he's kind of learning the, the reality of, of what, you know, professional workplace environments are like. You know, there's people who are complaining and unthankful and have vain imaginations and, and these types of things. And um, I said, you know, if, if you look at, look, at, look, at, look at your Uncle Mike, you know, he's been consistent, he's been faithful, and, and that's how he's been able to prosper and flourish. And, you know, if you, if you just stay consistent and just do... Be consistent, be firm, be fixed. And, and, and really, like, the, the young generation today especially is very not that way. I think people flip through jobs, every, you know, just it's like a kaleidoscope of jobs. Um, but um, sometimes, sometimes just being very consistent, very fixed, very firm, very established, and just be where God has called you to be and, and stick to it. Um, that's what's going to cause you to, to grow. And... Um, and I just really see that here um, in Proverbs 4, that, that just being fixed on God's, God's word, on, on doing what he's called you to do, uh, on, you know, being, sticking with the, the faith decisions you've made. Amen? And, and not, not going back. So consider your path. When you're considering your path, you need to be thinking about the word of God. You need to be believing the word of God and meditating on the word of God. And med when I'm talking about meditating, think about a lion on its prey. Like you, you are roaring over that thing. You are not, that, that is how you need to be thinking about God's word. Not letting it go, just shutting out all the noise. Um, next thing about um, believing God's word, you need to rehearse the victory. Say rehearse the victory. Um, there, there's this like famous quote in music. They said, you know, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? I played in Carnegie Hall a few times as a classical flutist, and um, people, people kind of know the joke. They say, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? They say, practice, practice, practice. But I, I've learned that um, you can practice a lot and, and not really be successful. My dad's laughing. He's probably heard me practice in an unsuccessful way before. I've heard... I've heard kids practice before in unsuccessful ways. When you practice, it's not how, it's not just practice, practice, it's, it's how you practice that matters. It's how you rehearse that matters. And, and as believers, we need to rehearse the victory. You don't rehearse defeat when you, when you're, when you're, the devil wants, wants to remind you of defeat, right? 95% of the time, he wants to rehearse the defeat, he wants to rehearse the negativity. You need to rehearse the victory. You need to meditate on the victory. You know, just, just the, the other day, I was, I was watering all the flowers in my garden. I have a lot of flowers. On, on uh, you know, half, every other day, I water just 20 minutes to do kind of an easy watering. But when I do water more extensively, it takes me an hour to water everything um, in my in my garden. So, so on one of these one-hour watering days, 
Heather, Heather kind of laughs at me because every time I go to Walmart or Lowe's, I always come back with some more flowers. And she's, she always asks me, well, you know, why do you come back with more flowers? And I said, well, I, I finally figured it out. This is where I spend time with God. In the cool of the morning, like, I, 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 like, I actually like watering because that's where I'm praying. That's where I'm meditating. That's where I'm at. And God, God actually spoke to me just this past week when I was watering the flower. And he, he told me that I need to, to start, and this is before I even prepared this sermon, but he told me very specifically, you need to start imagining that you're raising people from the dead. You need to start just imagining it. So I, I just thought of my dad raising Herb Carter here from the dead. This happened just, just two months ago. Between services, Herb, Herb was back um, with, with, with the prayer team. They were getting ready for service. The prayer team meets beforehand. And he, he had a heart attack. They believed he had a heart attack. He just blacked out. His heart stopped. He was gone for about eight minutes. Miss Kim here at church, I think she's here tonight. She might be outside working. Oh, she's back there. She's wearing purple. I love purple. It's my wife's favorite color. And so I, I, I plant lots of lavender. Lavender is a very pretty thing. The deer and rabbits avoid it. Um, and I can make purple arrangements for Heather that way. But um, I just started imagining my dad, what happened with her. My dad, you know, Miss Kim went and got my dad. And, and uh, he was talking to a new family, didn't want to leave them. Um, but she said, no, you need to come right now. And he, he went with her and, um, and went and saw Herb. And Herb was just completely gone. 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 We sing that song, Gone. Not about Herb being gone, but gone. Herb was gone. And um, Pastor Lawson just punched him in the heart and said, you come back in the name of Jesus. Something along those lines. We'll have to make a video about it. <laughs> Maybe can reenact it or something. Herb Carter, played by Herb Carter. But I just started, I started just imagining myself, if, if I were, were the, the senior pastor and, and my, the head of my prayer team just went out and I wasn't ready for him to go yet and his wife wasn't ready for him, and he wasn't ready to go yet. And like we've heard out of his mouth, he wants to, how old are you believe, believing to be? He's not 107 yet. So we have license to raise Herb from the dead until he's 107 years old. <laughs> so if this happens someday and my dad's not here, I have license to... Just punch him and say in the name of Jesus, come back. And... <clears throat> so I just started imagining that. You know, God, God told me, you need, to, you need to start imagining that you are raising someone from the dead. You need to start rehearsing that. You don't just go, go show up at Carnegie Hall without having ever practiced before. You know, if you want to do some of these things that Jesus said you can do, he said, you know, th these same things you'll do and greater things you'll do, you, you don't just show up and just do do it all of a sudden. You at least need to have been around some people who've done it. Or to, you, like, you need to go there in your mind. You at least need to have a rehearsal or a scrimmage or a practice or a, at least have watched the game before you show up and try to play. Amen. So God's telling you, you need to start going there. You need to start rehearsing the victory. Let's look at Exodus 17. We see this principle here in Exodus 17. I, I've heard um, with like racehorses that they'll actually, 
get horses, you know, to practice against a racehorse, and they, they, they want to train that horse to, to win. They'll practice running around the, the thing with the horse, and they'll, they'll get horses just as training horses. They'll buy training horses. Maybe, a horse, maybe the, the horse that they really want to win isn't very good at the end. They'll, they'll, they'll get horses to, to back off at the end so that horse can practice winning at the end. They don't want that horse to just get beat mentally at, when it's training and practicing. Does that make sense? Exodus 17, verse 8. So this is the story about the Israelites when they first entered um, the desert on their way to the promised land. Um, when they crossed the Red Sea, God just opened up the Red Sea. They crossed, and God closed the Red Sea on Pharaoh's army. They didn't have to lift a single finger except Moses. Moses had to lift the rod, but everyone else just got to watch the entire world's greatest army just be wiped out in a second. Um, but here... Um, Israel have to fight themselves. And this is the first time that Joshua is mentioned in Scripture. Joshua was um, the second in charge under Moses. He was the commander over the army. And we see here in Exodus 17, verse 8, kind of how this story unfolds. So it says, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner, Jehovah Nisi, Yahweh Nisi. For he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And uh, I like what the King James Version says here in verse 14. It said, the Lord said unto Moses, write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it, recount it, or rehearse it, rehearse it, so rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, so he's telling him when, when, you're, when Joshua's going to face another battle, and Joshua faced a lot of battles, before every battle, Moses told Joshua what to do, to play Eye of the Tiger, as it came out, no, some people have different pregame, you know, routines, right? If you're an athlete, if you're a musician, if you're a competitor, you have certain pre-game pre routines that pump you up, that make you feel like you're, you're going to be victorious. And this, this was Joshua's pre-game routine. Dun, 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 dun. Remember Amalek. Dun, dun, dun. I held the rod up there, and I was kind of old and weak, and I hadn't been working out as much as you young guys, so Aaron and her had to help me out. Dun, 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 dun. But remember what, what, who God revealed himself to be. He is the Lord, our victory, the Lord, our banner, the Lord. When, when you win the battle, you raise your flag up. Hey, remember, we won that battle and we, we raised our flag up. 
The Lord is our victory. Right? So before every battle, this is what you are to rehearse. This is what you are to remember. You are supposed to go back and play that battle back in your mind. That is a battle that you won. That was the first battle that you ever fought. That was the first time you ever clenched a sword in your hand. And remember that you won. That is what you are to rehearse. Before every battle, remember Amalek. Remember Jehovah Nisi. Remember that place called Rephidim, which means the, the, uh, our resting places. God brought us to a resting place, but an enemy came against us. It was taken care of. We had victory. Go back to that place of rest. Keep raising the, the victor's flag. Keep rehearsing that. Keep, keep practicing that. Keep picturing that. Amen. You know, when I, when I was just um, in, in fifth grade, I was taking flute lessons. I, I grew up in Kit Carson, Colorado, a town of 300 people. I was the only, I was the only flute player within 100 miles of Kit Carson. Now, this is kind of cool. You guys are around some people who, who, who've, like, raised people from the dead, who've seen miracles happen. As a flute player, I wasn't around, like, other flute players that did miraculous flute things. So my, my flute teacher that, you know, I, I had a, a two-hour lesson once a month in Greeley, Colorado, uh, a, a three-hour drive one way. She said, she kind of realized this problem. You know, if, if you want to play better ball, you need to be around better ball players. If you want to play better flute, you need to be around better flute players. I was the only flute player, so she said, you need to, to listen to really good flute players. And at the time, one of the greatest flute players, his name was James Galloway. So she got me a James Galloway CD, and I, I got all the James Galloway CDs I could get. And then she, after I listened to him for a while, she said, now, now that you've heard him, when you practice, this is what I want you to do. I want you to pretend that you are James Galloway. I remember I go to work with my dad. He, I, I'd, I'd go in the sanctuary there at our church in Kit Carson. I'd practice and I'd pretend that I was James Galloway. I was not in Kit Carson. I was not playing to an empty sanctuary. I, I was playing to thousands of people. And I was the greatest flutist in the world. That, that is what I was rehearsing. As believers, that, that's, that's how our, our meditation needs to work. When we, read, when we read the Bible, it's not just a, a history book. That is, that, that, that is one thing that annoys me the most about religious, intellectual, whatever kind of Christians, that they just, that you should be, this should be like, Yay! when you read, this, this, this is like you. You are in the game. The game's in you. Yeah. Like, I'm not just reading some book about what happened 2000. Like, this is today. Yeah, amen. Amen. When, when I, when I've, I've been reading through Acts. Hallelujah. This is today. Yeah. This is the signs, miracles, wonders. Being persecuted and rejoicing because we were counted worthy. Just read that today. And it made me think of my dad. When we've, when we've suffered shame for the name of Jesus, we've rejoiced. We got, we got blasted for having Lord. I mean, we thought, well, she, she's preached at other churches. She's preached, you know, Andrew Wong, she's preached at other churches. And, and we're the ones that got, we, we should, it's a real honor that we were the ones. Yes. 
that the beast really squealed about. <laughs> the beast. What's that movie? Sandlot. The beast. It's funny. You don't need to be afraid of the beast. The beast just makes noise. We're the ones that get to roar. The beast just squeals. It's not even a roar, it's a, it's a squeal. Rehearse the victory. Practice, plan, picture it happening. Just when I was guarding, just God just said, you need to start imagining. And I, 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 I imagine that Herb had a heart attack, and I had to punch him. So, you can imagine that her, maybe imagine someone else. Don't, I don't want that to be everyone's, you know, rehearsing the victory imagination thing. But you need, you need a picture. God, God often speaks in pictures. And um, I, I love that, that name, Jehovah Nisi. I love the redemptive names of God. I love that name, Jehovah Nisi. So the Lord is my banner, the Lord is my flag. The, the word nice means flag. Um, but it comes, it comes from a um, verb in Hebrew. Uh, a, a lot of the words in Hebrew are, are from, from verb roots. The language is a very act, active, it's a very active language. So when I was studying Hebrew, I, I tried to, to memorize all, all the verbs I could memorize. Because if you knew the verbs, you could figure out the other other, other words in Hebrew. And um, Hebrew verbs are always three letters. And um, there, there's, there's one time where there is a verb root to, to the word flag or banner. And it's the, the Hebrew word nasas. Nasas. And it's found, um, and the cool thing, like I, I'm really glad it's in the Bible because with biblical Hebrew, if it's not in the Old Testament, it's, it's not in the dictionary. They, they just say, we don't know what the root is, but we know what the root is to Jehovah Nisi, Nisi, Nas, Lord, my victory, Lord, my banner. It's, and the, the verb root is found in Zechariah 9.16. And uh, it's, a, it's a messianic prophecy. It's a prophecy about Jesus. Uh, Zechariah, there are more messianic prophecies than any other book in the Bible. This is Zechariah 9.16. It says, the Lord, their God, will save them in that day as the flock of his people, for they shall be like the jewels of a crown, Lifted like a banner, Nasas. The people that, that Jesus saves, they're going to be Nasas, lifted like a banner as a jewel in his crown. You, you are victors. That, that is a beauty. If you want to picture, if you want to rehearse the victory, just picture Jesus getting up out of that grave. Picture Jesus in heaven right now wearing that victor's crown. It says we are seated with him in heavenly places. You're seated right in the middle of his victor's crown. You are a jewel in his victor's crown. You can picture, picture Jesus. Man, he's the, pic, picture him in every situation, in every difficulty, in every battle, in every challenge that you're facing. Imagine that. What would Jesus do? So this is my conclusion. I want to be like Jesus I want to be his hands and feet. I want to act like Jesus. So I'm going to start thinking like Jesus. 
I'm going to think and continually believe the word of God. That's what the mind of Christ means, to, to continually think on and believe the word of God. Amen. I want to be like Jesus, so I'm going to start thinking like Jesus. Amen. Awesome. All right. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.